it's, it's important for us to support Bitcoin and to, to show respect to the coin that made all this possible, right? Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Bitfinex CTO, Paolo, where we're going to be talking about the history of the exchange. But before that, I've got a message from my amazing show sponsors. So first up, we're going to talk about BlockFi, who are the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Now, with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and you can start earning interest on your Bitcoin. I've told you this many times. I'm a customer. It's been over a year now and I've earned over one Bitcoin in interest, which is super cool. Also, using your Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan and you can fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now access all their services on the go. And they have also got a big Halloween promotion coming up for new customers. And with Halloween being my birthday, I obviously support this. So from now until the end of the month, you can earn up to $275 in Bitcoin when you open up a BlockFi account. If you want to find out more of this, head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash Peter. Also, let's talk about Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. And why, Pete? Why do you only use Kraken? Is it just because they're a sponsor? No, it started that way. Of course it started that way. But no, the reason I love Kraken and the reason they're the only exchange I use is because of two really main things. Well, firstly, they are consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. If you want to find out more about that, I did do an interview with their chief security officer, Nick Pococo. Definitely go and check that out. They also have the best in class in customer service. So whatever issue you have, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're going to reach out to them, they're going to get that shit fixed for you. Also, if you want to start trading Bitcoin, then they have all the tools that you can possibly need. So whatever your level of experience, at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start buying Bitcoin. They've also got a beautiful mobile first app. It's called Kraken Pro, and you can use that to trade with Bitcoin on the go, wherever you are. You could be walking down to the park and thinking, you know what, I want some more Bitcoin. You whip out the app and you can start buying Bitcoin. With their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so onto the show today and I have Paolo on, the CTO at Bitfinex. I've always wanted to find out a bit more about Bitfinex. Ever since I've gone into the industry, I've always found that the OGs, they always talk fondly of this exchange, how much they've done for the industry, so I really wanted to find out a bit about what they went through. Now, they are one of the oldest and largest Bitcoin exchanges, and they've had their fair share of controversies. They've been the victim of a number of attacks, including 2016, when over $60 million was stolen from them. They also oversee Tether, which has come under its own scrutiny sometimes, with people questioning whether it has a fully reserved status. But they are very, very well respected. And I just think it's somebody I needed to talk to. So I spoke to Paolo and I said, come on, man, come on the show. Let's talk about the history of Bitfinex. So we get into a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about the hack, how they protect themselves against future hacks, Tether, their interest in Lightning support, and their funding of Bitcoin projects. If you've got any questions about the show, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I do reply to all emails and I do it personally. I don't have somebody somewhere else doing it. I do it. 
And also, go and check out my other show, Defiance. My latest series about Ghislaine Maxwell is smashing it. Over 150,000 downloads so far, which is incredible. You can find that at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great weekend, and I will see you all next week. Right. Good afternoon, Paolo. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Peter. It's good to finally get you on the podcast. You have a rich history in Bitcoin. A lot of people won't know it all. Um, I only know parts of it. One of the interesting things is that when I talk to a lot of kind of Bitcoin OG people, they, they always talk very highly of Bitfinex, talk very highly of, of the company, of the history, of what they went through in terms of just trying to build an exchange through especially very difficult early times. Um, so I want to do a bit of a history lesson with you on uh, Bitfinex and Tether, and then I would like to talk about some of the stuff that you'll focus on for the future. How's that sound for you, man? You cool with that? Uh, sounds really good. All right, cool. So listen, let's go right to the very start, Paolo. Tell me about um, tell me about your intro into Bitcoin. And I, I don't often ask this question anymore because they're usually told everywhere, and I, I even hate answering it myself, but I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to make you do it. Tell me your intro into Bitcoin. Well, my intro in Bitcoin was around 2012, 2013. Um, you know, I come from a computer science background, um, started in um, university in Genoa. Well, I'm a coder since I was eight years old and then always excited about, about um, technology. Um, then I got more into um, scalable applications, decentralized uh, distributed computing and parallel applications. And um, that was really uh, my thesis argument. And then started working on an interesting military project that in, in Italy and then decided that it was not paying enough as uh, happened often in Italy and then moved to finance. So I started studying finance and then started building a nice uh, cloud-based portfolio management system. That was around 2012, 2013. And, um, you know, I was dealing with, uh, with banks, with big institutions, and they had really outdated infrastructure. They were relying on weird uh, SFTP connection with, um, you know, text files um, to share the data between themselves only once per day. So... Uh, set, uh, all these files were all full of errors. There was no way to make sure that the accounting was perfect. So uh, you had to go through many, many iterations just to reach out a good stage of your hedge fund. Then, you know, I, I started uh, hearing about Bitcoin. I think in, in the, the end of 2013 was the first time it broke um, $1,000. And, um, and I started hearing about it and started reading. And uh, the first thing that popped into my mind is, okay, this thing can solve all my issues that I have every single day. So uh, I got really excited and uh, started um, digging more into it, started thinking how I could use it. And uh, unfortunately, I had my day-to-day -day job. So um, I, I didn't have as much time as I wanted to spend into it. But then eventually I met Giancarlo, that is uh, Bitfinex and Tetra CFO. And uh, he said, well, Paolo, we have a problem with the matching engine. Can you step in? Can you help us? And I, I had my company. So I, uh, but I saw the opportunity to be uh, full, well, to, to start playing with uh, one, probably the most or one of the most interesting companies at that time. And of course, still today, but uh, especially at that time, 
in, in Bitcoin. So was really excited, was all about finance, was about all performance. That is, you know, my daily bread and uh, was all about Bitcoin. So I, you know, as sometimes happens, well, the more time I was spending on it, the more I was realizing that I really didn't care much about my company. And eventually I ended up in shutting down my company and joining full-time Bitfinex, right? Basically when the hack happened. Right at the hack. Which hack? Because there, there were a couple, the big one. <laughs> yes, there are a couple and the big one. You, so did you join before the big one happened? Yes, so I joined in, um, so basically I joined in early 2015 as, uh, you know, a consultant for the matching engine and the APIs. When I joined, the the order book of Bitfinex was updating, you know, between 10 and 15 seconds, right? So, you know, you were seeing the book refreshing every 15 seconds. So my job was, okay, let's fix the matching engine because in 2014 and 15, there were periods when, you know, the volatility was really high, so there was some lag. So I stepped in to fix that, to bring from, you know, it, when I joined, it was like 50, 000, uh, 50 orders per second. And my first part was, okay, how I make it go, uh, the matching engine handle 50,000 per second. So I, I started doing that. And in a few months, I was able to deliver a product that was uh, uh, increasing the scalability by 100 times. And then f- started focusing on APIs. So still, you know, quite outside of the company. Then uh, 2016, I decided in um, May, uh, June, to close my company to dedicate full-time to, to Bitfinex. The hack happened early August 2016. And um, at that time, basically, uh, Giancarlo asked me, okay, if... Uh, are you feeling comfortable to become the CTO and have everything under your your scrutiny? If you are okay with that, I think that we can resume the operations in one week. So that is basically my my um, the time when I decided, yeah, I will be one hundred percent full time in this company. I will I will step in as a CTO. I will take all the responsibilities of the technical side in order to you know as something bad happen. I didn't want, even if it was, it wasn't my company, but uh, I felt really bad for, for all the customers. I wanted to step in, make it right, resume the company from a new, newly uh, created infrastructure so that we could, uh, we could start servicing again our customers uh, and make them whole. Right. So you took over the CTO role, what, one week after the hack? Uh, I would say two days after the hack. Two days after yeah, the hack. But you- and I said, yes, you know, it feels like a wedding proposal because, you know, after five days, I had five days basically to review the entire code base, to install it on a newly um, created infrastructure and then start back, start back the operation. So the seventh day we started trading again. And uh, in, I would say after a few hours, we were the top exchange by volume. Um, we were back on track, of course, with a lot of noise, with a lot of problems, with a lot of uh, critics. Still, we were we were there, and uh, you know, after that, month by month, well, day by day, week by week, and month by month, we were able to to to, to demonstrate that a company can resurrect, a company can can be brought brought back. So that was um, that must have been a lot of pressure at the time. 
because, like I say, I mean, there have been a couple of smaller hacks, but this wasn't an insignificant hack, right? This was, yeah. as I remember, like $70 million of Bitcoin went. Um, yeah, seven zero. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you, but you were working at the time, right? You were an employee, but you just weren't the CTO. Yes, that's correct. Do you, um, do, do you remember when you found out what, like, it had happened? Well, I found it quite early because um, basically, um, no, it was early, I would say around uh, eight o'clock my time. I was in UK at the time. And, um, when, uh, when that happened, of course, uh, we were all on Slack. We were start seeing. Okay, first of all, we thought there was an accounting issue, but then we realized that you know bigger problems were um, there were bigger problems, and uh, the entire team, the team was really small at the time, you know. So the it was with a with a shout you could reach everyone, and we started working, checking. We broke down the platform and so on. So uh, it was one of the um, toughest days of my life. It was really um sad for so many different reasons first of all yeah. you know you you felt like you you let down all people that all the people that you that were believing in you from a personal point of view i i, I was thinking okay I, I found the best job ever i i, I don't want to to let it go I, I will do whatever it takes to to keep it and if even if that means basically dedicate the next five years of my life without physically sleeping in order to make sure that it's safe. Yeah, still a lot of pressure, man. Like, because uh, I, do you know, what? I um, I actually really admire people who are CTO of exchanges because you essentially are in charge of the security of the biggest, some of the biggest honeypots in the world. Which yes. once someone gets access to, it's very hard to reverse what they've what they've done. And I guess there must have been a lot of pressure on you with that early on. Yes, it was quite a bit of pressure, but you know, again, uh, I um, I tried I thrive under pressure. I you know I I like uh, I like to write my own code. So basically, I started to write everything. My microservices system, um, the entire infrastructure was designed under my guidance. Matching engine was basically written entirely by me. APIs as well, refactored all the backend. You know, it, it's. That in that way, I could be one hundred percent sure that there was no no issues. And in fact, so far we we didn't have any additional issue. Of course, we have many more uh, developers now, and uh, things are you know there are many more additional security checks. But that time, I was sure that I could do it. Uh, and uh, I, I really, uh, for me, the idea of of losing that opportunity was uh, was uh, just not possible. Has it changed a lot over the last, well, it's like five or six years? Is it still, is, ex, is uh, exchange security still a very scary thing? Is it something you lose sleep over? Or is it, have you got to the point now where, you know, you're pretty comfortable with the security of, it, of you know, custody and so much Bitcoin? So I think that um, the custody of Bitcoins is, um, is uh, we are really comfortable in that. So we, of course, uh, you have multisig. You have you, you learn a lot of lessons, of course, in, in your with with, with uh, also all the other hacks that happen afterwards. Every single hack teach you something. So you you learn, you improve. You know, we uh, in the comp- you, uh, hardware wallets become became better. 
you know, the company, the understanding of all the team members became better. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a really guy, I'm a guy that keep harassing people in my team to install cubes, to use YubiKeys, to use everything, right? So I'm, I'm really annoying in this thing. So I, I call them periodically and I'm basically treating them as, you know, my, my babies. Just I want to, to, to grow them in being completely super security cautious. So right now we are in a really good uh, spot. Uh, I, I, think, I think that is um, managing such large amount of money has become, uh, I would say, more comfortable, although you never, you cannot let, ever let it go, right? You cannot always, uh, you can ne- never think, okay, I'm, now I'm safe. Um, I'm, I'm the type of guy that uh, is always paranoid. So, but still, uh, tooling have improved a lot. And um, I think that the, uh, with all the threats and hacks we have seen so far in our industry, uh, I think that protection have gone have uh, got, gone rocket high. Okay. The, um, as I remember it, you socialized the losses, which I know upset some people, but I, I actually kind of understand why you did that. Um, but the BFX token was designed to try and at least compensate people for their losses. How, how far did that go to making people good on the losses? I think that um, people uh, were made a whole. Um, okay, great. Because uh, no, eventually, so we uh, the um, the logic was simple. Either we redeem it at one dollar, mm-hmm. or you can convert in and BFX shares. So if we redeem at one dollar, and uh, you know we we uh, we could redeem seventy two million dollars, or um, and actually part of it was converted in the BFX in between shares. That by the way, I think that was one of the best deals ever that <laughs> in our industry because of course. The company started running like crazy uh, in the m- months afterwards. Yeah, because it was kind of like I guess most of two thousand, like late sixteen to, shall we say, early eighteen. It was a very busy period, right? So the trading yeah. was high, high fees. I guess it was a good opportunity. Um, yeah, it's really interesting looking back at that whole time. And I, I kind of like whenever whenever I speak to somebody, like say runs an exchange, I'm always like. God, this must be a stressful job. But uh, my assumption is like the industry has matured to a point now whereby big exchange hacks are either down to stupidity or some unknown uh, issue. But the management of hot and cold wallets and multi-sig now, there's like pretty standard practices, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, I think that, uh, you know, multi-sig, MPC, um, there are, uh, let's say, many flavors. Of course, uh, that is uh, the, the, the important lesson that we learn is whatever happens, uh, 99% of the asset should be in the cold wallet. That's it. Simple as that. So you learn that lesson. You know that you have to use multi-sig or a multi-factor system in order to authorize uh, refills from cold wallet to hot wallet. And uh, I, I would say that you're already in a really good spot only following this simple rule. Yeah, wow. Interesting stuff, man. All right, the other thing I wanted to talk about with you before we get into like the future stuff is Tether. I actually I met Phil Potter a couple of years ago in New York and he came on, we talked a little bit about Tether, but like I kind of want I want to hear it from you because I saw a presentation of yours once where you actually talked a lot about the technology of Tether and the innovation that brought to the industry and obviously we have like so many stable coins now, but let's be honest, Tether's the king. Um, can you? 
I think I think probably we should go back a step and say the talk about the reason why Tether came into existence because it it was there to solve a problem a, a banking problem, right? That's correct. So when crypto uh, exchanges started to uh, become a bit more popular, and you can think about um, 2013 when the Bitcoin price moved to over one thousand dollars, then we there were many exchanges. Um, that had, uh, well, between exchanges, the, there was a huge price discrepancy, even $200, $300. Now, in trading, there is a simple concept that is called pair. Uh, BTCUSD is a pair. Pair means something made by two things, in this case, two currencies. And uh, BTCUSD is made by BTC and USD. So when in, um, in finance, it's important that the two parts of the pair move or can be transferred at the same speed, right? So you cannot, in a, if you have, if you are trading Tesla, it means that you can move Tesla shares and make a wire almost in the same time. But the, in Bitcoin, you could make, uh, you can, could send Bitcoin from one exchange to another in 10 minutes or 30 minutes, depending on the number of confirmations, but the wire could take one or five days. So you see, there was a big discrepancy in speed between the two uh, currencies of, uh, of the pair. So if you think about it, the solution is really simple. So we have Bitcoin. Why we cannot use the same technology to create a surrogate, a surrogate of the dollar? I mean, again, if you think about it now, it's, it's crazy simple. But at that time, 2014, when, when um, Giancarlo and Phil and, uh, had this idea, no one thought about it. And um, uh, they, they looked around and saw that the, the, the only um, blockchain that could uh, allow this was called MasterCoin that then was uh, rebranded in OmniLayer. Mm-hmm. And um, they, started use, they, they basically started using that. And uh, the first couple of years was, were quite rough because uh, they were pitching <laughs> this uh, stablecoin to a lot of exchanges, but no one seemed really to get it. They, they they didn't understand the importance of it. Um, they then, do now. Yeah, and the things have changed quite a bit, you know, in that uh, that uh, respect. And uh, in 2016, then Polonix started and uh, to uh, to use it, and um, um, so traders could uh, arbitrage between Polonix and Bitfinex because uh, we had USD pairs, but we were considering and merging USD and USDT. And Polonix has had uh, no banking about USDT pairs. So there was, um, as traders started to do really tight arbitrage uh, between the two platforms. Then 2017 came and most of the ICOs, most of the new uh, blockchain tokens were listed against USDT. So, uh, So we start for the first time we started seeing uh, spreads that, that were more like traditional finance rather than being, you know, 10, 5%, 10%, or even 2%. So we were seeing 10 basis point spreads, even sometimes one basis point spread. So between the technology, the growth of the exchanges and Tether, both of the two things made, in my opinion, made possible creating exchanges with the same technology performances as traditional funds. What, what were the challenges you had building 
Tether, though? Because it sounds like there were two challenges. One is you obviously had to build Tether, but the other one was like convincing people that they they needed to use it. Was Bitfinex the first kind of case study for Tether? Yes, it was. Uh, but of course, in these cases, if you have only one exchange that supports it, it doesn't doesn't really help, right? Because uh, Bitfinex had uh, was um, an exchange with uh, that offered fiat on ramp. So we didn't have uh, any problems in accepting and sending out wires. So um, basically, uh, we were suggesting to exchanges anyway to use other exchanges, of course, to use Tether, because sending wires from one exchange to another could really take one day or more. So in order to solve a big problem of of, uh, our industry, we were pitching Tether as a solution there. Right. Okay. Okay. I see. It's funny though because it's tether is um, it's like such an important part of the industry now. It's such yeah. an important part, and it's it's really become like we've seen all these other uh, stable coins be launched, but still the vast majority. I mean, I, I don't know what the total, or the percentage of the volume that tether has, but it is a like it's a significantly higher than the rest of the other stable coins. Also, you've put it on other blockchains. What what was the whole idea of moving it? outside of OmniLayer? Because as I know, it's on Ethereum and... Is, is, is it on Tron? It's on Tron, Ethereum, EOS, and, uh, and many others. And I can explain you why. Yeah, go on, man. This, yeah, I know. The Maxis, I, the, the Maxis will be angry about this, but go on. Yeah, just don't laugh too hard. I won't laugh too hard, man. <laughs> Give it to me. So... You know that um, you know my in my background. I, I I'm a really big Linux believer, right? I started using Linux since a lot of time, and um, in uh, from you know '95 to 2000, 2010, there were a lot of Linux distributions, right? So uh, and there were things called religion wars uh, between you know Debian is better than Gen two, that is better than Red Hat, and you know you had so many or SUSE and uh, and so. On. And um, uh, the, the only thing that crossed this, uh, that, well, there are a couple, there were a few things that were similar across these distributions. So they had many different things, like package managers and so on. But uh, basically, they had in common uh, Linux, the kernel, and they had in common um, the, uh, maybe the window manager, like GNOME or KDA. Now, here is in, we, we thought that, in crypto, it's quite similar. So you had um, you had so many different uh, blockchains, but they need something in common. And blockchains sometimes you see religion wars, like Ethereum guys that don't really like EOS, maybe Tron, and so on. And uh, same goes with Bitcoin and so on. Bitcoin, so, Bitcoin hates everything. Yes, of course. It's like the Scots, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm talking about, you know, the okay. episode in Simpsons. <laughs> All right, fair. So we thought, okay, why we, we cannot be this, the thing that, um, that unifies them all? So the common layer, the common liquidity layer for all of them. So we started thinking, okay, this can actually work because they might don't like much each other. But what if we? What if there is a something that allow them to easily move wealth from one chain to another? 
So that was the big revelation. And we started doing that. And uh, actually, it really worked out really well. What, what's, the, uh, what's the total volume with Tether right now? Um, I think that is around, uh, well, there are two types of volume that you want really to check. So I, the, although the, the trading volume is astonishing high, I would say that on-chain volume is much more important uh, method because, of course, costs in fees. So I think that is, uh, is uh, if I'm not wrong, is few billions per day. Uh, I would wow. mean, but is is quite an enormous amount. Of course, the more blockchains we add, the the harder is even to track. Um, but um, it's growing, it's growing a lot. Especially the thing that I like more is that the average of the transaction size is going down. And that has an important meaning because we are, uh, Tether is not anymore something for you know, the big hedge funds. Of course, we, uh, it serves big hedge funds, people that have a lot of wealth and they are big position, they have to hedge themselves and so on, right? fine. But also it's becoming more and more something that can be integrated in everyone's life on a daily basis. So the more it goes down, the more we are happy. So smaller transaction size, broader audience means broader number of wallets that have uh, ever received a little bit of tether. That is, that these are two important metrics that we like to track and, uh, of course, uh, could kind of represent tether being brought to the masses. Next up, I talked to Paolo more about Bitfinex and Tether, but before that, I got a message from all my amazing sponsors. Okay, let's deal with Casa, who are the best in Bitcoin security. Now listen, have you got your Bitcoin security shit together right now? The market's looking frothy, lots of money going into Bitcoin, really is something you need to get sorted. I did it a few months ago now. So much peace of mind by having a multi-sig setup, having it geographically distributed, knowing that I am protected from hackers, my own stupid mistakes, in-person attacks, device failures, and so much more. I can't recommend this more. Now, with Casa, because they're such badasses, they've got a product for every Bitcoin out there. So if you're thinking of doing it, you can go out to their website and check out their three primary products. Now, firstly, you've got Casa Gold. This is going to give you triple the security of a hardware wallet. And that comes in at only $10 a month. So come on, there's actually no reason not to go and check that out. Now with Casa Platinum, you also get their three or five multi-sig. That is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders. And that also comes at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you're going to get their full service offering. This comes with a personalized, customized security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. Find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we have sportsbet.io, who are the best in online gaming. Now, you hear me say this all the time. You're like, Pete, you just say everyone's the best. Well, firstly, I only work with the best. Now, come on. Think about it. Now, the reason I love these guys so much, I went out to Estonia, I went to visit them, and I found out they're not just a betting company. They are also absolute lovers and supporters of Bitcoin. They've done this through sponsoring football clubs. They know by getting Bitcoin out to football clubs, they're getting Bitcoin out to billions of people around the world. And this year, they're sponsoring Southampton FC, and they've put the Bitcoin logo on the front of their shirt. Amazing. And they are also the betting partner of Arsenal. 
They really love Bitcoin. They're really pushing Bitcoin. If you're into gaming, having a wager on the football, then you should definitely check out sportsbet.io. They have loads of promotions, loads of offers for people to get started. And you can find that all at sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. And you can get to sportsbet at S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Okay, lastly today, but not least, we've got Least Authority back as a sponsor on the show. Now listen, this is for you nerds, you techies, you amazing people out there building the applications that people like me use. Now, Least Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits of how to build privacy-respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design. And they're going to help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer 2 protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and so much more. Now, if you want to boost your security strategy, you can arrange a no-obligation call to find out how Lease Authority can help you on your next project. Just head over to their website, hit the schedule a call button, that's at leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. What's the to- total amount of Tether that's been minted now? Uh, 14, million, uh, 14 billion, sorry. 14, 14 or 40? Yes, yes, 14. One, four, 14, wow. It's amazing, really, because, did, like, do you guys ever worry? Because, like, what's the difference? Let's deal with some of the FUD. What's the difference between, say, Tether and something like Liberty Reserve? Because, you know, those guys ended up in a lot of trouble. What, what is it that you're doing different that, that kind of protects you from the strong arm of the law? Well, I think that we we just following the law. Um, we are uh, registered in FinCEN. We uh, collaborate with all the regulators and uh, you know law enforcement around the world. So we are really careful about following the rules. All right, okay. So I'm sure that uh, our uh, legal team can can speak at length about that. I'm, I'm a simple CTO there. <laughs> yeah, I love. I could speak to Stuart see if he wants to talk about that. <laughs> there is a couple other things. Um, I'm not sure how much you can answer on this. But for a long time, people wanted to audit uh, the tether, kind of uh, the the whether to see if there was like a one to one backing. And then we saw that something came out related to like crypto capital, and you've now got the like New York Attorney General's. Case. Can you talk about any of that? Well, I would prefer to leave that to our uh, legal team because I'm not expert in law and. Uh, I just don't want to get slapped really hard when we <laughs> finish this call. All right, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll ask, I'll ask Stuart about that. that that's probably better. Than <laughs> Thank that. you. What about one other thing? T- tell me if you can answer this. There's a lot of FUD that where people talk about the market being manipulated by the printing of Tether. But I've seen other people come out, other exchange operators, and said this is just absolute nonsense. The print of the Tether relates to demand. Is there anything you can talk about on that? Well, that is, um, you know, an easier story in the sense that I think that it's obvious that uh, Tether is following the rules and is issuing Tethers when actually there is a counterparty that is a wire that has received, a, move, a movement that is received, right? The, the growth of Tether is just driven by the actual demand of tether's market, tether market. So the, the entire manipulation thing is nonsense. I, I think that, you know, in 2017, 2018, there was just, I mean, the crypto was, uh, was the boom of interest in retail that made the crypto uh, going balloon. Uh, so 
that's that's basically it. There is, uh, I think that uh, you know, the 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 class action is completely uh, nonsense and. Uh, it must be frustrating though, because it's like the same story again. And I saw somebody else put it out the other day, and I was like, there was nothing new in their story. It was just the same stuff. Do you, do you get pissed off with it? Keep that keep coming up. Well, initially yes, but then you realize that if you let them get at you, your work performance will become lower and lower and lower. Mm. And your productivity will will be will decline. So basically, we we just really uh, don't care. Come at us, we will we will win, and we will continue to grow. There are um, you know Tether, Bitfinex, where uh, you know uh, we're subject to a lot of different attacks, accusations, and they always became came out stronger, uh, bigger. So. We are not afraid of that. I think that um, that's something really important for the team. Everyone in our team really thrive under pressure, and uh, we like to demonstrate to, to to the broader community that we are the good guys here. Yeah. How much has operating exchange changed over the time you've been CTO? Like, are there different challenges that you're facing now as that you were facing five years ago? Like, how has that changed for you? So uh, I started when a team of developers were basically was composed by 30 people, including me. And now we are um, around 35. That is still really small if you think about um, competitors that have maybe 34 times the number of, of uh, developers that we have. So I would say that I uh, the hiring part was the uh, creating and hiring process that would let me hire the type of people that could work well with me was the most difficult part because uh, I like to code most of my time. So I only hire people that are super independent and uh, I, I have a great feeling with so that I can delegate and uh, they, can, um, they can create uh, great stuff. I can double check periodically with them, but then I can f- spend my time in building things. Are you still coding? Yeah, most of my time. I, I, I couldn't, I would not have said, uh, I would never have accepted this role if uh, I had to stop coding. Oh, wow. Because I would have thought at some point the pressure gets too much to deal with like day-to-day stuff that you cannot still code. No, it's, it's what makes me uh, happy every day, apart, of course, my wife. Um, and, um, you know, you... I create so the machine engine is one hundred percent made still by me. I like that part. I like to make to you know go uh, go to bed and you know you 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 are on a taxi or on a train and or in a car. You think about how okay how I can squeeze performance out there. Right? I can how I can make the next version even more scalable, even more performing, even more stable. Right? So it's is like it's something that I would never let it go. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's and I think it's yeah. I mean, yeah, I just think it's really interesting that you're still doing that. That you had that you kind of. I guess if there comes a time that if you stopped coding, how would you know who the best coders are? How would you review? I mean, I'm not a coder, so I don't know. But I guess it keeps you closer to the work, right? And the closer the work of your team. Yeah, in general, I don't. I don't really trust CTOs that are not really great coders themselves. So my 
my worry, I'm a really competitive person as well. So my worry is that at some point, if I let it go, I would not be able to keep the same quality of the platform just because I would not be able to keep up with the latest technologies, with the with the new languages and so on, unless you do it every day, unless you force yourself into it and to keep learning. It's really hard. But that, that's the same with crypto, right? I mean, Bitcoin is keep growing. Lightning Network is an entire world as well. So if you stop doing that, you will lose it all. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should be a coder, but just mm. for the, the passion to learn, whatever, even if you don't code, like the passion to always look into it, to always know about it, to, to, to talk to people about it all the days is something that you, can, you should never lose. For me, that passion is also driven by coding. Yeah, amazing. All right, so listen, let, let me ask you something because it, there's this kind of weird Bitcoin world in that half of your kind of job is building out your business, but then you have this kind of other half where you – you kind of take an interest in the kind of ecosystem and the growth of the technology, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a t- two points really for like, firstly on a personal level, what are the areas of Bitcoin you're most interested in? Like wh- where's like your kind of passion. And then secondly, and it might be the same, but what about for Bitfinex? You know, what, what, what else are they interested in beyond just the, like the trading environment? So, when it comes to Bitcoin, I like um, quote quote simplicity of it. So I like that doesn't have smart contracts. I like that it's a simple layer one. I like that it does one thing and does it amazingly well. And uh, I like that uh, other people could add complexity on top of it with layer two solutions like like network. So. Uh, I think that uh, I, I'm general quite skeptical, uh, skeptical of uh, blockchains that try to do it all, like um, trying to be computers. I think that eventually, as much as you try, the history of and the academics um, of computer science teach a simple thing that you should build layers and not trying to go with uh, super shards and, uh, you know, really complex strategies. So you can actually uh, build uh, really fast solutions that are peer-to-peer, that ha- that are uh, that uh, preserve privacy and so on, on top of Bitcoin, although Bitcoin has a 10-minute uh, block time on average. Are you integrating Lightning into the exchange? So... We started with the positive withdrawals on Bitfinex, and then we moved, We started working with, well, uh, one of the first use cases was supporting Bitrefill, that, um, you know, they are uh, a gift card operator. And, yeah, I know Bitrefill. Yeah, and uh, then we, um, we are thinking to, to bring our Lightning Network even deeper um, and uh, allow fast deposits into directly into um, refilling your collateral for like for trading purposes. I think that our mission will be in part complete in that sense when um, you know we are funding two projects um, that aim to bring digital assets on top of like network. So the beauty of it is again we want to be to have to be in a situation where both the parts of a pair, like when Tether started, right, I said things should move, the two parts of a pair should move at the same speed. So mm-hmm. what we 
able to do is to have Bitcoin and Tether being moved on Lightning Network at the same speed. So instant, almost instant speed, so that you can really um, trade and you can deposit, withdraw everything in a matter of milliseconds through Lightning Network. Right, okay, okay. So talk to me about RGB then, because you mentioned that to me before. I still don't know anything about RGB. Like I've seen it mentioned, I've seen people talking about it. Um, can you talk to me about it and why you care about this? I care about, so first of all, I'm not a super fan of tokens in general. Okay. But I think that um, there are uh, ways or important parts of token ecosystem and Tether is a token. And I believe that it's important, especially maybe in the future, Bitcoin will be used for everything. And, you know, for small payments, people will accept payments in Satoshi's. I'm, you know, I'm the kind of guy that is waiting for that type of future. But at the same time, if you ask me now, I prefer, I don't like to detach myself from Bitcoin. So um, I really care about them. Um, and uh, what I prefer is to use a stable coin so that I can always predict. I, I, um, if I basically with a stable coin, I will never regret to have paid something in Bitcoin. So um, I really like the aspects of Lightning Network on the peer-to-peer, uh, that is a pure peer-to-peer solution that goes against the big other uh, token solutions that are popular nowadays, that you know, like Ethereum and so on. I like what I like about the network is you have a lot of small hubs. They talk to each other. They, you can have some sort of. They can even act as completely segregated networks. It's really hard once it starts. One, the more it grows, the more it becomes like you have. A, you can see like grapes, right? Like like grapefruit, right? So it's really hard once it starts. One more become broader. It's really hard to stop it. And it's yeah. truly hard, hard to stop it because you have people can, can have, you can have like hubs in towns. They can just talk to each other. They can, they might not know who, um, people from, you know, 100 kilometers away. They are not connected to them. Maybe they are, maybe they are not. So there are links that maybe link all these hubs or this ecosystem together. But that is peer to peer. That is how internet should be. So Lightning Network expressed really well that concept. So the the thing that was missing for us was, okay, how we can issue tethering because it's so beautiful. So uh, RGB is something that uh, Bit, um, nor Bitfinex or Tether did. It uh, was a project that was created by Peter Todd and um, uh, Giacomo Zucco. And um, we met, um, it was started uh, a couple of years ago then um, we met in Malta, was, um, was a conference, and we started talking to each other, and we, uh, I was really interested. So, well, uh, I, uh, I raised the hand and uh, with a few other uh, companies interested, and we decided to fund the project. So from there, uh, now we're in, in a really good development stage. The community is broader. There is a lot of interest around it. Uh, we are uh, getting questions on a, on a daily basis. So we, we aim to, to have something useful by the end of this year or beginning of next year. Um, and, you know, uh, between Xtatter are, again, uh, we, are, we are supporting it, we are testing it, we are working with different, uh, we, we are uh, interested to create wallets 
for you know um, uh, using it. But uh, kudos to to the developers that really are developing it. It's uh, they are uh, really great people, and also to, to the ones that created it. So I don't want to take credit when it's not the <laughs> core. Well, it needs funding, man. You can't do much of this stuff without funding as well. But like, what what do you see as the use case for RGB? Can you give me like an example? So um, is a way. So, you know, you know, imagine to go um, into the tube in London and, you know, sw- instead of swipe your, your card, you want to have a really fast payment system that still pays with fiat, but and is super fast and, uh, you know, is, is sits on top of Bitcoin. So I think that uh, is really poetic, uh, that vision, at least in our minds. And I believe that uh, we ha- are in a really good position to solve one of the biggest problems of, of this industry that is UX, right? We know, we are, are imagining already how a wallet, how uh, application can, could use uh, Tether on Lightning Network in order to bring a really fast payment system to the masses with, you know, with uh, incentives for, uh, well, not incentive, but everyone has an incentive to be uh, a router, to root messages, you know, like uh, like Lightning Network, right? So that that's... I think that it is for us is is just um, uh, fulfilling uh, the the Bitcoin vision. Yeah, but I, sorry, I don't, I still don't understand what RGB does on top of Lightning. Like Lightning is already fast payments, right? What's the RGB yeah. bit? So it's a way to issue digital assets using oh, so, the same right. protocol that Lightning Network uses. So the idea okay. is that uh, the Lightning Network protocol root messages that are basically payments. Uh, for in, in Satoshi's in BTC, right? Bitcoin. The idea is that use the same protocol, but instead in the same channels, trying to use a slightly different protocol that allow you, instead of transfer only BTC, transfer also custom create a asset. And that's basically RGB. Right. Okay. So if you might create a tether asset. Exactly. Yeah. But does that also, therefore, does that asset also need to have liquidity across the network or can it survive on uh, the Lightning Network's own liquidity? No, it has to have a liquidity. So some of the considerations uh, are uh, need to be there. But, of course, the more we, um, as Tether, we are interested, of course, to see this um, coming to fruition. So... Um, we are happy to start spinning nodes and hubs in order to make that happen easier in an easier way. Right, I understand. I understand. Are you? What else is uh, Bitfinex interested in? You funding anything else? So we are funding um, uh, Proof Marshall from uh, Peter Todd, and we are funding uh, Omni Layer. You know that Tether actually started on Omni uh, Layer. Yeah, so. I did. Yeah, and. Um, these guys are really good coders. They um, recently they solved one of the most annoying problems of OmniLayer. That was uh, the OmniLayer till one year ago uh, was relying on an outdated version of Bitcoin Core, so it was if I'm not wrong, zero fourteen. And now they brought it up to speed in the last year or so um, with part of the funding to zero eighteen now zero nineteen coming. And uh, also they are focusing on OmniBolt. That is. Uh, a protocol that still aims to issue to issue digital assets or really convert the digital assets that are uh, on the Omni layer, like Tether is already there, on using a protocol similar to Lightning Network. 
So actually, we are funding two different projects that are competing for the same thing because that's how much we care about, right? How much is important for us that we see a really fast payment system secured by the Bitcoin network because only layer is also secured by the Bitcoin network. Uh, RGB on top of Lightning Network is secured by the by the Bitcoin network. Is this because you feel like some sense of responsibility to support the Bitcoin network, or is it is it always just decisions made on uh, like like a, an op- an opportunity for a return on your investment, or are you doing this also because you you feel like you have like this sense of responsibility? So no one is um, no one really. We, don't, we are not seeing a big business case unless we create it, first of all. Okay. But, but uh, in the sense that it's, it's important for us to support Bitcoin and to, to show respect to the coin that made all this possible, right? And we feel that sometimes people take that for, for granted, right? We, it's not that we are seeing an oppor- this big business opportunity there, mm. but we think that if we do a good job, people will start flowing back and using Bitcoin security for their day-to-day life, maybe even not knowing. So that, that for us is, is like keep doing our part, maybe even in a small way, to help the ecosystem. Because from one side in 2017 and 2017, uh, Tether was using a lot of Bitcoin network. So, uh, because you know, OmniLayer was, of course, uh, every time you sent uh, Tether from one exchange to another, uh, the transaction was broadcasted on layer one. So, there is a sense of responsibility goes also to the fact that we don't want to clog layer one. Layer one should be there for everyone. If there are better solutions, we should use them. So, is um, Bitfinex is made by Bitcoiners? So. <laughs> Um, that's just what he's driving us. Oh, interesting. Well, look, it's fascinating stuff, man. Like, if if people wanted to find out more about, is there any way to find out more about these projects? Is there like a, a way you update people? So, I think that there are a couple of uh, different channels around. There is a, a Telegram channel. Uh, I think there's RGB org, and um, uh, and then you uh, there is now it is mo- moving to IRC. Um, it's quite cooler um, and, uh, you know, a bit more private. There is a website. There is the GitHub page of the RGB project. Uh, so everything is open source, right? Like in, um, like as it should be. So there is plenty of information around. Um, we are happy. If people want to reach out to the Bitfinex customer support, we can introduce everyone to the right channels um, to make sure that they get the, the, the best information possible. And if people want to follow you, Paolo, where can they get hold of you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm um, you know that crazy Italian that um, that writes some random t- tweets every day. Well, the, you're not the only one. We have Giacomo as well. You can't say I'm the crazy Italian because he's we've got him as well. Yeah, us us Italian are <laughs> and a really interesting race for sure. But uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, I really love the guy. Yeah, I love Jacobo. Well, listen, look, it's great to have you on. Great to talk about this stuff. And look, I wish you the best. I appreciate all the support you've given me over the last few months. And yeah, if I can ever do anything for you, you know where I am. Well, keep doing whatever you're doing because you are great. Um, you're a great speaker. Uh, Bitcoin needs you. So um, thank you very much for having me today. Peter. All right. What did you think of that one? You know what? 
I thought it was really interesting to get a bit of insight into the running of an exchange. I also think it's pretty cool with all the things they're doing for funding things like RGB and the support for Lightning and the things they want to do there. You know, Bitfinex have been through a lot. They've had to weather a lot of storms, you know, in the early days of Bitcoin. It wasn't easy to run an exchange, especially dealing with funding. So, yes, I've got a massive amount of respect for the exchange, for Paolo, the team, and everything they've done. If you've got any questions about this show, you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, for the last few weeks, I've been asking, if you want to support the show, can you go and leave me a review on iTunes or whatever platform you use? Now, those reviews are really helpful with the rankings. So I've seen them coming in. Thank you so much. Every one of you went out and listened to me and did that. Thank you. Big, big, big love to you. If you haven't done it yet, listen, it takes about two minutes. You can do it right now. Just go online. Find the iTunes place where you can leave a review. Give me five star and just put out there how my show is so much better than Pomp's. <laughs> just mucking around. But seriously, if you've got time, go and leave me a review. They are really helpful. Outside of that, go and check out my other show, Defiance. We've got this series about Ghislaine Maxwell. It's doing so well at the moment. Over 150,000 downloads. Really blown away about this, especially because of the amount of work that's gone into this by the whole team, including Tom, the producer on that one. So that's available at defiance.news. You can reach out to me also if you've got any questions about the show. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Have a great weekend, and I will see you all soon.